Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I invite you to be seated. It is uh, so good to be with you all here this morning, and uh, thanks again to the worship band for bringing us to the throne of God's grace and mercy, and of course, our awesome fifth graders, let's give it up for them again. A couple uh, awesome solos right there, love it, love it, speaks to my heart and to all of our hearts, good job, guys. It's good to be with you guys on this journey together. We've been journeying together all the way from Advent to Christmas to Epiphany. Epiphany now is the season of light, and we've been focusing on the Gospel of Matthew, and the spotlight is on Jesus. We witnessed him a few weeks ago uh, as the Magi came to visit, and we talked about how Jesus is for all people. Then the spotlight was on his baptism, and in his baptism, Jesus identifies with us and our brokenness, and with humanity, he is God with us, Emmanuel. Then the spotlight was on the calling of Jesus' disciples, and they take one huge, big step toward him in faith and trust, toward his grace, toward his mercy, and toward his mission. Last week, Jesus began to preach, and we looked at the Beatitudes, the blessings, and this week, Jesus continues to preach. The spotlight remains on him, and we see Jesus use everyday stuff to teach us about the deeper truths and realities of our identities as human beings, and as his followers. So I'm going to use some everyday stuff to try to illustrate a few things. I'm going to need a volunteer from the fifth grade audience here. Uh, Any volunteers out there? Okay. (laughs) Anybody eager to come on up here for some help? Let me see here. Let me see here. I always pick from the front. I'm going to go to the back, I think. Oh, I know. I know. There's like 70 of you. Well, you got to come back 70 times. We'll all give you a turn. How about uh, Jameson? Come on up. You want to come up? Come on. Let's come on up forward here. All the way up on the stage here. I've got some props here that I'd like to uh, utilize. I paid 10 cents for that Trader Joe bag. I'm going to use it to all its glory. <laughs> I'm going to use it to the handles fall off. All right. We might need you to speak into this here. Let's see here. Are you okay with this? Okay. I'd like you to sing a solo. Okay. <laughs> You didn't know about that? All right, come on forward, come on forward. You, you get a little close there. And uh, what are you doing later today? You, you doing anything? Um, we're watching the Super Bowl. Super Bowl, okay. Anybody going to be watching the Super Bowl later on today? Okay. Really? It's like, no one's watching it? Okay, that's okay. I'm done with that. There's this thing called a football game on this afternoon. It's called the Super Bowl, for those of you that don't know. And uh, I think the Dodgers and the Lakers are playing in that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not the big football guy on staff, am I? All right, who's playing? Who's playing? Um, Patriots. Falcons and the Patriots. Falcons and the Patriots. All right. Who's voting for the Falcons? How about the Patriots? Okay, all right. What's up? The fifth grade, they like are aligned. I like that, though. You're aligned. You're, You're doing it right. Okay, so at this uh, football game, football party, a lot of people often eat things, right? And a lot of times people eat things called chips, right? Anybody going to have any chips today? Uh-huh. I'm sure a few people might be having chips out there later on today. So I, I was like in the grocery store, I was getting like these chips, you know, I'm going to do a little taste test. And maybe I get one of my fifth graders to kind of help me see what, ta- what chips are the best, okay? So this has been all been approved ahead of time. Everything's safe and everything. Okay, so I got a bag of chips here. I'd like you to just pick one out, try it out, and... Uh, yeah, put it in there. Take a bite. Okay. Chew on it in there. How does it taste? Um, it's not salty at all. Oh, really? Yeah. Does it taste good? 
No? Okay. How, all right. How about this one? Try, let's try some of these. Mm-hmm. Okay. How does that taste? It's better. It's better? Okay. Very good. It worked. All right. Why is it better, Jameson? Because it's salty. All right. Very good. Uh-huh. Do you want some more? You want to take this no. back with you? Okay. That'll be 10 cents. Okay. No, just kidding. All right. Jameson, you're exactly right. Give Jameson a round of applause. All right. Oh, complete with the dab. You know what I'm saying? A little dab of salt on that. All right. Okay. That was lame. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, what am I getting at here? What am I getting at here? Okay, all right. Basically, the salty chips are better, right, Jameson? Right? I mean, no salt chips. Do you know how hard it is to find these? All right? I found no salted chips, and it kind of tastes like, uh, they're blue ones, so it tastes like blue cardboard if you ever had that before. <laughs> we love the salty chips, right? Because they have so much more flavor. And uh, the no salt chips, you know, it's, no, it's kind of an abomination, right? <laughs> should be thrown out, trampled underfoot, and be cast away into everlasting damnation. Um, <clears throat> the salted chips, those are more like the way of truth in life. And there's a way, there's a reason why you go into the grocery store and you go and there's like hundreds of chips on the aisle, right? And uh, they're filled with salt and goodness, right? I had to call the manager in just to find the no salt chips, you know? I mean, these things have been on the shelf for like five years, so sorry about that, Jameson, but... I think that they, I think it'll be all right. I think that'll be all right. Sorry. Right. What does this have to do with what we're talking about today, Trevor? Uh, the, okay, the Bible story. Okay, yeah. All right. All right. Chips, Super Bowl. We're going to tie it together somehow, some way. All right. First, let's talk about the Bible. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. We've been looking at Jesus, and he's preaching. He's preaching the Beatitudes, and here we go. Look, check this out. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. And he said, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Now, I know Jesus isn't directly talking about tortilla chips here, but it's pretty obvious that in the new heavens and the new earth, unsalted chips will not exist, my friends, okay? <laughs> That's an invention of the devil, okay? <clears throat> All right, I'm sorry. All right. Jesus, let's get, let's get serious now. All right, Jesus is talking to his disciples, right? He's talking to his followers, okay? And he's saying that salt that has lost its saltiness is useless. Well, what is he exactly talking about here? What is he saying when he says, you are the salt of the earth? Now, a lot of debate exists out there, and a lot of interpretations are trying, well, actually, what is actually Jesus saying when you are the salt of the earth? And part of it's our problem. Part of it's our problem because we think of salt and we think chips and french fries and put it on our food and that sort of thing, which is part of it. Maybe if you live in the Midwest, you think salt and you think winter and roads and your car getting rotted out with rust and that sort of stuff, right? But in Jesus' day, salt was a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal in our day, but in Jesus' day, it was a really big deal. Salt was used in all sorts of ways. And on one hand, salt was used like money. I mean, people would exchange things for salt, all right? You would buy things with salt. It was also used as a preservative, right? They didn't have any refrigerators back in Jesus' day. Like we have, every one of us has a refrigerator, maybe two or three in our homes, right? And we use that to preserve stuff. And so some theologians are saying, well, maybe that's like the disciples. They are there to preserve and to prevent moral decay in the world. 
Other theologians, they talk and they talk about, well, salt is an essential element in the diet. I mean, we put it on food because it tastes good, but it's, you actually, your body needs some salt. And so some people are saying, well, the disciples, they're going to be like a God-enhanced kingdom seasoning in the world. And there's some truth to that. There's another one that salt was used back in Jesus' day, and that was uh, fertilizer, all right? So disciples would enhance growth. But I'm, I just want to tell you, I'm glad that Jesus didn't use that metaphor because that would have been kind of weird, right? You are the fertilizer of the world, and you could see how that would go, how, how that would go, which just didn't work too well. But fertilizer is used to enhance growth, and I know there's good stuff. If you're a farmer, you know all about that stuff. But there's about six other uses theologians have talked about when it comes to salt and what it's used for. But basically, when it comes down to it, salt was apparently more important in Jesus' day than just to season chips. Overall, salt was a vital necessity of everyday life in Jesus' day. And so when we take it that way, when we hear Jesus' words that way, we realize that he's saying that you as my disciples, you as my followers, you are a vital necessity for the earth. And he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. It means that you are for the sake of, you are for the benefit of, you are a vital necessity for the life and for the existence of this planet and all who dwell on it. The reality is that salt actually cannot lose its saltiness. It is salt. And you cannot lose the fact that God has made you disciples in Jesus. Jesus saw you. He called you and he defines who you are and he declares it and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, Jesus then, he can, begins to move and flesh it out a little bit more, and he moves from a thing called salt to a thing called light. And so in verse 14, Jesus says this. He says, you are the light of the world. You are for the sake of the world. You are a benefit of the world. You are light. And we know that this world has darkness in it, don't we? I mean, there's darkness all around. And you can feel the anxiety and the darkness kind of elevating in the world and in our culture and the media. It's all around us. This world needs light. You might remember in the Gospel of John that Jesus not only said, uh, as he does here, you are the light of the world. But Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he says, I am the light of the world. I know that brought this up many times. You ever been in our historic sanctuary? Every time I do a baptism, I talk about it. We've got two windows in there. And in German, it says, ich bin das Licht der Welt, which is, I am the light of the world. And you've got a hand holding a torch, and it's in a stained glass window, and it's awesome. And we know for sure that that hand on one of them is Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. But I, was, I wonder, why do we have two of them in there? And I think maybe, maybe the other one could say, that other hand represents us. Represents us as believers, that Jesus has called us to be the light of the world. In fact, just this past uh, week, we had our baptism chapel. You guys were there, right? Remember baptism chapel? It was a week ago, 10, day, 10 days ago, I think. Anybody baptized in here? On that? Yeah, there we go, my man. That's right. All right, let's give it up. All right. God loves you. I remember that. Awesome day. Big day for your life. Big day for 21 other students and siblings, parents and grandparents filled with God's love. I mean, every time I always break down in tears, Trevor has like a pool. He's like, he's going to break down right here, you know, and he's going to break down right after the sermon. He's going to break down right before, you know, but it's humbling because you get to see God's work come before you. And everyone at the end of that service, they held up, they hold up their candles and they say, I am the light of the world. And everyone in the whole place lifts up their finger and presents a candle and says, I am the light of the world. You guys remember that? Why don't you do it for me now? Put your candle up. Can you do it? I want to count three. I want you to say, I am the light of the world. Ready? One, two, three. I am the light of the world. Ah, 
A little louder, okay? Come on. All right. One, two, three. I am the light of the world. That's right. How about the rest of you? Put your candle up. Let's do it together with the kids, all right? Let's do it all together. One, two, three. I am the light of the world. I mean, it's powerful. We got the whole church, the whole student body saying this, and those people that have just been baptized, they realize that the light of Jesus is shining in their life in a powerful way, and that no matter what darkness comes into their life, they always have him as the light, and that they can shine the light too. Pretty awesome. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. He says, you are the light of the world. It's pretty cool that Jesus isn't just saying you carry the light only or that you are reflecting the light or you're just delivering the light. But Jesus is saying you are, in fact, in reality, the light of the world. He saw you. He called you. He made you his disciple. And he made you salt and light. In verse 14 and 15, he continues on and explains. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house, right? A city on a hill, it's impossible to hide. A city with lights is impossible to hide, right? They didn't have planes in Jesus' day, but when we go flying, you ever been taking a flight over the U.S. in the middle of the night? You look down, and you see the cities, right? All the lights. You cannot hide that light. Then he's also talking there about a lamp on a stand. Back in Jesus' day, they just had these little lamps. They put it on a stand in the house. It would light up the whole room because they had like one-room houses back then. And no one would ever think of covering the light because it lit up their whole entire life. They could see. Jesus says, you are that light. In verse 16, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. Your good deeds shine light into darkness, salt to the earth, to preserve, to season, to bring growth, so all people can see who. Why do we want people to see our good works and experience our good works? Do we want that so that they can see how awesome and how righteous we are? Do we want it so that they can sing our praises? Do we want it so that we can say, hey, all of those sinners out there, if you could just be like us, you poor, sinful, unsalted potato and tortilla chips that you are. No, we don't do that. We don't do our good works because we want the spotlight to be on us. We want it because we want others to see Jesus. And we want them to be led to the Father and to faith. The world says, seek your own glory. But Jesus in these words says, go beyond your glory. And go beyond and go to my mission for the world. He says it in verse 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And because of that, they will glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. You are light for other people so that they might see the heavenly Father. They might experience God. They might trust in him. And in these words, Jesus is calling us to go deeper. He's reminding us of who we actually are, our true selves. That in him, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. He's calling us to live out who we are, extraordinary lives that bring salt and light to the world. Now, sometimes that happens in big ways. As, as Vicar Trevor was talking about, Pastor Nathan, we were part of um, some big projects, you know, Love Santa Ana, the Compton Initiative, the projects we do with Second Harvest here, big things that we're a part of. And our, in fact, our Old Testament lesson is pretty powerful. It comes from Isaiah, chapter 58. And... Uh, the people in those days, 27, 2800 years ago, they were all like fasting and said, look at how awesome I am because I'm fasting. Look how religious I am. And the prophet Isaiah comes in there and just levels the playing field. 
And he says, I want to tell you what it means to really have good works, good deeds, to let your light shine before others. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6 says this. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then... Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Powerful words. We're called to be salt and light into the world of injustice and oppression, and to the hungry, and to the wanderer, and to the naked, and to even our own flesh and blood. And we could spend a whole sermon series for a whole year talking about what that means for our lives. Those are big things, big things that we can do together. I know many of you participate in those big programs. I know many of you sponsor children in other countries so that without your financial support, they wouldn't have education. They wouldn't have food. It's awesome. I know some of you support uh, locally different uh, projects and charitable organizations that reach out to those who are described here in our text. I know that many of you do that in a big way and in a small way. But that light that we shine, that salt that we are, it also occurs in little, small, everyday ways in our lives. And uh, two, two things happened to be this past week. You know, sometimes we as pastors, we're kind of up front, so it's like, that's the guy I'm going to send the email to, right? And uh, that can be good and bad, right? So we often get a lot of constructive criticisms, you know, from people out there that want to send us 25-page emails about things, you know, that are, are going on. And, and uh, we, we take it, right? You know, we get used to it after time, and it hits us. We, we take it with a grain of salt, and then we, uh, we get rid of it, right? And we deal with things. But we also get a lot of salt and light. And two people this past week, they, they sent me some notes, uh, a little thank you notes about whatever. And I'm telling you, just the few little words, they were filled with so much salt, so much light for my life that they actually brought me closer to God and to my purpose for living and reminded me once again how powerful our words and our deeds are. When Jesus says you are salt for the earth, light of the world, He's calling us to make an impact in huge ways and in small ways. He's calling us to live lives of purity, faithfulness, piety, love, generosity. And as we talk about Connect, Bro, Share, to share Christ with our words, service, and resources. He's calling us to live what we are, salt and light. He's saying words and actions are both necessary. Because without words, our actions uh, will be never heard, Right? Words without actions will never be heard, and actions without words won't tell anyone about Jesus. So as I was thinking about this, and uh, just the other day, this video came to mind. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? And I'm sorry if you're a Falcon fan over here, my friends. Man, the fifth grade's like sponsored by the Falcons or something like that. But, I, but one of the Patriots kind of already won the Super Bowl, in my opinion. His name is Matthew Slater. Does anybody know who that player is? I believe he's the son of Jackie Slater, if I'm all right. It's a big football family. And uh, all-pro, special teams player. He's known for the fact that he is salt and light in the world, in his words and in his good deeds. And he was given a platform just this past Thursday to share a little bit. And I know that at least as of yesterday, 1.4 million people heard and saw these words, so check it out. 
ones, you have to understand who God is and who his son is. And you have to understand what God says about your sin. And from there, you realize that, hey, you know, I am a sinful person. And my sin has separated me from uh, an eternal, perfect God. And But there's a backup plan to that. He sent his son, Jesus. And I believe that uh, Jesus is is the son of God, is God. He came here. He died on the cross for my sins, your sins, everybody's sins, everybody who's willing to accept that truth. And if you're able to put your trust in him and, and confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is who he says he is, then from there you can initiate a relationship with him. But I also believe that repentance is a big part of that as well. Um, you have to turn from your old life of sin and try to you know, model uh, a Christ-like life. And I think that that's something that we'll never fully figure out on this side of glory, but uh, it's certainly one day at a time process that I've been so blessed to be on uh, for the last 25 or so years. All right, pretty cool words, huh? Matthew Slater there, <laughs> love that. And uh, just like Slater, you are the salt for the earth, you are the light of the world, and so my encouragement is, and Jesus encouraged me to shine on my friends and be salty chips, all right? And this, no one likes the insulted ones. You know what I'm talking about. Jameis improved it. But as you bite into those chips this afternoon, think about Jesus' words. Think about his call to your life. Let his light shine through you.